You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 18, today we're in Otakam. Francois, last night we were in no doubt who the best two riders in the race were. Tonight we're probably in no doubt who the best two riders in the race were, but it's two different riders, Jonas Vingegaard and Wout van Aert. What a display by Jumbo Visma today. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really, really, really impressive. It might have, uh, you know, not gone as planned. I mean, they started the day extremely well with Christophe Laporte, you know, leading the way on the flat. Well, the, the, the bit of flat there, there was on the stage today. Then Nathan van Ooydonk took over. And, and then, of course, from the very beginning, they sent Wout van Aert up front. The man is the team director, Christian Nierman, calls the Green Monster. So up the road and well until then you, you, you could tell okay the rocket is launched but will the last you know uh, flight of it will go all the way and um, it went even better than, than you know, you, you, we could expect I, I guess probably the plan was to protect the yellow jersey from the attacks of uh, Tani Pogacar but not only uh, did they protect the, the, the jersey but also they, they launched the uh, the final rocket, the the, the the one that you know hit the target very very hard today at the top of Hotakam with Jonas Vingegaard dropping Tadej Pogacar, kind of a, yeah humbling Tadej Pogacar. And as much as yesterday was Brandon McNulty's day, he was the man who created the the illusion that maybe you know that, that there was a glimpse of hope for Pogacar today. Uh, Yumbo's destruction of Pogacar was was total. Well, yes, Francois. I mean, I described the Wout van Aert move, which has been a feature of this Tour de France, hasn't it? Jumbo Visma have sent him up the road a lot of times in the mountain stages, almost as a kind of an, an advance party, kind of checking out whether there's, uh, you know, habitable conditions on Otakam for, for Jonas Vingegaard. And then it just it performs the uh, purpose and the function of a sort of almost a protective bubble for Vingegaard when they eventually catch up and it worked a treat today Jumbo Visma uh, they did look a bit vulnerable yesterday but well we kind of alluded to it yesterday were they treating today as the more difficult and the more serious stage but it does look after stage 18 of the Tour de France from Lourdes to Otakam that barring disasters Jonas Vingegaard will win the Tour de France now it was a show of strength from Jumbo Visma exactly when it mattered and uh, they cracked Pogacar for the second time in the race. Vingegaard has won his second stage, and he's become the second Dane to win the stage that looks like it will seal the yellow jersey on Otakam, because that's exactly what Bjarne Reese did in 1996, although that's probably not a comparison Jumbo Visma or Vingegaard will particularly welcome. But the lead now, 3 minutes 26. I mean, it would take uh, some kind of... Uh, physical and mechanical meltdown in Rocamador for that to be overturned now. But what an interesting stage it was as well because so much happened. It kind of fitted the same pattern as yesterday with a big group of riders. I think 33 riders went away. All but four of the teams were represented in it and the lead wasn't allowed to go too far. So it was always in play all day. And so when the GC race kicked off on the second of those three really big climbs, the Col de Spandel, uh, we just knew that... Vingegaard and Pogacar uh, were going to cut their way through the group like a 
hot knife through butter. Francois has just popped a savoury snack in his mouth. No crunching on the mic, please. No clattering on the table. I can't eat a savoury snack now, can I? I'm in the middle of the tail of the attack. And then it was a question of who can hold on to the coattails of Vingegaard and Pogacar. And, well, the answer was, for a lot of the time, no one. There was a lot of drama as well, because on that middle climb, Pogacar attacked. Vingegaard was equal to it immediately and the pair of them went away from everybody else and on the way down the descent Pogacar really pushed it and there was a very dicey moment for Vingegaard where his back wheel skipped and it looked like he might lose it but then irony of ironies a few kilometres later it was Pogacar who skidded and ended up in the grass ditch and then we had perhaps a pedaler de charme moment because Vingegaard waited Pogacar got back up to him and they shook hands before resuming hostilities a lot else was going on up the road because going into the bottom of the final climb to Otakam, the three leaders from the original break were Thibaut Pino, Wout van Aert and Danny Martinez. Behind, Vingegaard and Pogacar were joined by Benut, Kuss and uh, some of the other GC riders. Geraint Thomas got back on, having briefly been up the road, in fact, earlier on the climb. The other riders up there were Madouas, Louis Menkes, Hugo Uhl, who were, you know, variously either trying to get away in the original break or made moves a bit later on. So on the final climb, Wout van Aert actually attacked the other two. Martinez was able to stay with him, but Pino was cooked at that point. But that wasn't the end of Group Armour FDJ's day, was it? Because Madouas and Godou were working really, really well together. They had a plan, and it worked to get David Godou up to fourth place overall. Uh, Sepkus rode... Well, he did a Brandon McNulty today, didn't he? They caught Van Aert, and as soon as they did, Kuss peeled off, and then Van Aert led in his green jersey. He led Vingegaard in the yellow jersey with Pogacar in the white jersey, clinging on. And then, well, Vingegaard cracked Pogacar with around 3.6 kilometres to go, and that was that. Incredible stuff, really, and no doubt that Vingegaard deserves to win the Tour de France on the basis of his climbing. Overall, it's Vingegaard now, 3 minutes 26 ahead of Pogacar, Thomas now at eight minutes, Godou, as I said, up to fourth, then Quintana, Menkes, Vlasov, Bardet, who's kind of playing a snakes and ladders tour de France here, he went down a couple of places, Alexei Lutsenko, very much the uh, Zabeldia prize for him because he's snuck into the top ten, he's now ninth, Adam Yates is tenth, and the other thing about today is that Jumbo Visma hold the three big jerseys. Vingegaard in yellow, Van Aert in green, of course, and now Vingegaard, poor Simon Geschke. He's had to concede the polka dot jersey and very little chance that he will get that back. But he will wear it still because Vingegaard is in yellow. Three more riders out with COVID, Chris Froome, Immanuel Aviti and Damiano Caruso. And I make that 15 riders out of the tour who have actually said it's because of COVID, plus a number of others who are ill. But what a humdinger of a stage. But we started the day in Lourdes, my favourite town in France. (laughs) And uh, we'll hear uh, Francois and I in Lourdes around about lunchtime today. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. 
Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, the title sponsors of the cycling podcast, their glucose monitoring technology. Well, it may well have had uh, a part to play in Jumbo Visma's Tour de France because Jumbo Visma are one of the teams that use Super Sapiens, although they can't use it in the Tour itself because the technology is not uh, sanctioned by the UCI, but they do use it in training. And I gather it's revolutionised the way that they uh, fuel for training and racing. Super Sapiens have started a podcast of their own and in the third episode the head of applied science at Super Sapiens Dr Howard Zisser has been talking about uh, the technology and he also basically answers the question that everyone has when they first put the sensor on the arm and start looking at their glucose data what should we be looking for people put it on they're looking it's like that's my glucose I'm like yeah that's your glucose wait a minute and you'll see your next glucose and your next glucose and your next glucose. The first response is you like, that's so cool. And then their second response is like, is it normal? If you don't have diabetes, yeah, it's probably normal. What I tell people to do is almost do nothing at first. See what your baseline is. See what happens first thing in the morning. Like your glucose a little high in the morning? Is it low? What happens with food if you change the order of your carbohydrates and fat? If you change the size? If you change at the time of day, if you change it in relation to your exercise and all these things, what happens with sleep? So there's exercise and food is not the only thing that can uh, affect your glucose. There's many things. Well, Francois, I'm going to try to be positive about Lourdes. I'm going to admit that it is not my favorite place in France by a long chalk. Uh, but am I wrong to look rather unfavorably on Lourdes? We're here nestled amid the Pyrenees. It should be lovely, and there are some phenomenal things here. I mean, the basilica is stunning, but there's also a sense that the town itself has, uh, well, it's stuck in a sort of 1960s, 1970s time warp, and not to put too fine a point on it, it's a bit tacky in places, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of rather kitsch or camp or whatever you want to call it. It's... uh Unfortunately, with all the due respect to you know Catholicism and religion as general and what the people believe in, obviously you know a lot of the shopkeepers in in the centre of Lourdes make a living out of uh, you know the uh, the miracle and the uh, appearances of the uh, Virgin Mary. It is possible to feel a little bit un- uneasy about it and com- uncomfortable with all the uh, yeah all, all the merchandising you know around. Uh, Around completely valid faith, and but the thing is, that actually the, the the tour being on you know with the, all the buses and the and, and the tour village on the uh, parvis on the on, on the, the esplanade uh, in front of the basilica, it kind of fits in well together, because uh, because we are all bicycle lovers and lovers of the of the sport, and also we, we can resent the kind of uh, commercial com- most commercial aspect of it, like you know if you been close to the village départ, you know what it is, sponsors, plastic bottles of water are given away, all this sort of uh, wine, uh, food and all that. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 the way, the, the, the kind of religion of uh, cycling is treated by Le Tour, sometimes you know, it's, it's gigantic, it's too much, it's a little bit, you can, we can feel uneasy about it, about the grandeur of it. Well, Lourdes is, is, is in a way the same the same thing, you know, the, the, towards uh, faith. Like, you know, humility should be the key to be uh, to be a champion uh, in cycling or, or in, in any field of society. Humility is a great part of uh, of the Christian faith, I guess. I, I'm not a very religious person 
But if when you go to Santiago de Compostela, for instance, that's also a, a great place of uh, uh, faith and uh, belief, and uh, you know, with lots of pilgrims, uh, the, the even the architecture is, uh, which is of course 17th century classical style, uh, and the way the, the way the faith is expressed by you've got these little streets uh, with bodegas where you 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 drink in you know in bowls. Uh, well, quite good white wine actually. Is the the fervor is is, is different and uh, I wouldn't say more respectable because I'm not saying Luther is not respectable. Everybody is respectable in their beliefs. Even the architecture of the basilica sometimes looks a little bit like you're a Disney to me. But I mean, once again, it, whatever you know, if it's good, you know, if people really feel the need to to come here and achieve something you know spiritual for that that that's fine by me I, I just like you feel a little bit uncomfortable the same as i feel uncomfortable in the village the part of the tour where I, where sometimes you know vips or uh, are more important than the riders yeah i think with lourdes i mean i've been here many times and i've made a point of trying to avoid it in terms of where we stay on the tour because I've not had terribly happy experiences here. I've never really found anywhere nice to stay or anywhere nice to eat. It's almost as if, uh, in a commercial sense, there's this sense of almost exploitation of people's belief. It veers too far into that for me. Um, the, the main street here with all of the souvenir shops is, is beyond tacky. Um, I'm not saying that there's not a place for um, you know, nice um, religious mementos, but you can buy holy water in the sort of heavy-duty bottles that you normally buy windscreen wiper fluid in, 10 litres of holy water. That doesn't seem to me to be... A, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit over the top, but it's kind of a, a sense of the, the, the exploitation. Um, the, the hotels aren't any better because they don't need to be any better. The restaurants aren't any better because they don't need to be any better because people are coming anyway because Lourdes is a very holy place. And, yeah, like I say, the Basilica, the Grotto fine but everything that has grown up around it and just kind of stayed stuck in this uh well even the signage on all of the hotels and the shops on the main street here they look like they haven't been renewed since about 1973 and uh, it gives you a kind of downbeat feeling really rather than an uplifting one and so i'm never terribly comfortable here and i declare my um, non-interest in any organized religion quite happily it's not it's not an anti-religion sentiment it's just an anti-lord sentiment really yeah, I have an anecdote about staying in Lourdes while you're on the tour. Uh, I was staying in a hotel, can't remember the name of it, and I'm not going to give it anyway. But the mattress was very, very thin, uh, and so I didn't have a, a very good night. And when in, in the morning I went down to the desk to check out, and the guy asked me if I had a good night, I said, well, not really, because the mattress was very thin. And, and the guy replied that that's what the pilgrims require because you know you 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 need well especially you know the humility I was t- talking about you know because you, you you if you sleep too comfortably you get too far away from God or whatever which would seem to be a very lame excuse for a bad mattress you know but there you are so yeah so some. How would you say the, the merchants of the temple or something? It's that sometimes you have the impression some guys here, they're not the only ones. I mean, uh, I said how much I, I hated the ski resorts, some of the ski resorts in the Alps, for the same, well, the same reasons, you know. The, the mountains are marvelous, are great places, and um, you know, it's good for your health. Altitude is fine. Eating a frozen pizza uh, for 20 euros, 
on the top of a mountain in a in a building in a lousy building built in the 1970s is not great. And I, I think sometimes Lourdes is a little bit like that. But I, I heard this morning from uh, from a very good source that apparently the, the, the riders have access to the uh, to the basilica from the paddock. You know those who wanted to spend a moment to share you know their their faith in that spot before you know embarking on the stage to Otakam. There was actually in spite of the race bubble uh, a channel you know between barriers had been had been put into place for the riders to to go into the basilica and pray if they wanted to i i don't know if any one of them did but apparently that's what uh, was uh, planned. Interesting. I mean, Tadej Pogacar needs a miracle of sorts today, doesn't he? Perhaps he'll be tempted to go into the Basilica for uh, a, a quiet moment. Uh, did any of the riders go into the Chapel of Confession just across the other side of the Start Village? I don't know. Maybe uh, certainly 2006, 2007, when the tour, whenever it came here in that era, plenty of riders could have queued up to confess their sins in there. My kind of favourite anecdote about the tour and Lourdes is a Sean Kelly story when we were working together on his book a number of years ago now he told me about the one and only day he took the yellow jersey it was in 1983 and he'd spent a week basically chipping away at Kim Anderson's advantage day by day um, getting closer and closer and then on the run into Poe Sean Kelly took the yellow jersey by a single second and his very good friends Herman and Elise Nice who were the a Belgian family who effectively adopted him um, for many years during his career. Sean lived in the outskirts of Brussels with the Nice family. And Herman and Elise came to watch for a few days in the Pyrenees. And Sean gave the bouquet of flowers that he got on the podium uh, to Herman and Elise. And they took them to the grotto to say a little prayer. And as Sean said, it didn't really do him a lot of good because the next day the race went over four or five big mountains on its way to Luchon so what would it have gone over it would have gone over the, the Tourmalet the Orbisque um, the Aspan the Perisord he lost about 10 minutes and lost the yellow jersey he's won an only day in yellow and a sad story about that yellow jersey too because he took it off he folded it up in his luggage with the race number still on and when the tour reached Paris someone had delivered his own car to uh, to Paris so he could get back home and he put his bag into the back of the car parked it went for a meeting with a man called Daniel Daniel Doucet who was the kind of the chief fixer of all the post-tour criteriums in those days the, the man who set the fees for the riders and he went to discuss uh, his um, uh, yeah, basically his programme of post-tour criteriums and how much money he was going to get for racing and when he came back to the car somebody had smashed the window and stolen his luggage and although he got his bag back from the French police a day or so later the yellow jersey was gone so Sean Kelly has, does not own the one and only yellow jersey with his race numbers on from the 1983 Tour de France Maybe it was a lesson in humility, and that that, that that was done precisely on purpose. I mean, you know, taking a candle to a grotto, uh, you know, brought uh, Sean back down to what where we all are, fragile human beings. Well, Francois, no miracle for Tadej Pogacar today. He obviously didn't visit the Basilica, did he? No, yeah, he could have, or maybe he did, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> on the basis, I mean, if, if he had the same effect on him as it had on Sean Kelly at the time, yeah, that, that, that might be an explanation. The, the, the thing I, I, I think really today was we really thought because of uh, Pogacar's utter domination for the past two tours de France that he had a, a hunger knock on uh, Granon uh, last week and uh, something wrong had happened. What, what seems to be the case to, today is that actually it's, it's probably not Pogacar who faltered. 
it just you know was against a, a rider that's, that's been the, the, the best man in, in, the, in the bunch and it was just uh, slightly better than he is. So what, what we thought last week was maybe, you know, a, a, a bad day, a, a, a moment of, uh, you know, a s sudden moment of weakness from Pogacar was actually probably not the case. It was just that Jumbo Visma as a whole and Jonas Vingegaard in, in particular were, were just uh, better than Pogacar this year. Yeah, not just better physically, but today they did have a plan, didn't they, clearly? Because whereas yesterday they were a little bit missing in action, today they took the stage by the scruff of the neck. And this move, putting Wout van Aert up the road in the mountains, I mean... Today, he even surprised me with how strong he was on the climb at Otakam. I mean, he was sprinting. When they finally distanced Pogacar, it was, it was like a sort of Tour of Flanders winning sprint, wasn't it? There was a time when I thought, and I told you, uh, he's going to win the last four stages of the Tour de France. <laughs> I mean, uh, last year he won Ventoux. Today he finished third in the stage. And, and actually, had, had he been a little bit more, I mean, saved his energy a little bit more, he might have been really not in contention probably with Vingegaard. Who knows? He looked really like a man who had the, the legs and the, uh, the ability to, to win a stage like this. And let, let's face it, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but, uh, you know, with, with a with a, probably a sprint stage tomorrow then the time trial he won the, 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 the last time trial last year in the Tour de France and Paris which he won la last year as well I mean you know we, really what Van Aert gave the impression that he couldn't win anything which raises the questions we, 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 we ask ourselves again uh, before even last year is question is on everybody's lips now is Wout van Aert a, f a future, a possible GC contender in the Grand Tour? And, and I don't know what the answer to that is, but from what we saw today, uh, leaning towards yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure about that, but I mean, he has won a stage over Mont Ventoux before. The way he climbed today was exceptional. Uh, it wasn't just the, the tempo he was riding when he was in the break. I mean, he dropped Thibaut Pinot. I know Pinot, my heart almost broke yesterday when he <coughs> said that uh, he was saying he was no good. But he did make Pinot look fairly average. I mean, Pinot at the bottom of Otakam was, I thought, going quite well. It looked like he was maybe trying to um, wind things up a bit to whittle it down maybe to him and Martinez. Perhaps that was his thinking. But, I mean, he got completely caught out when Van Aert went to the front. Even even Danny Martinez were, was humble. Like we had the impression we had, we had those kind of riders, you know, who, who, who go who go up the road for to show that their jersey because they belong to a, to a smaller team. But it was Thibaut Pinot and Danny Martinez, guys who have won big World Tour races, you know. They were really humbled by a guy who's supposed to be a cyclocross uh, sprinter. I mean, everything but a, a high mountain specialist. So, yeah, really, once again, what a, a, an outstanding performance. When we look back on the Tour and, you know... And, and when we, like most riders, take it day by day in retrospect and, and, and look at what Wout van Aert has achieved in this Tour de France, wow. <laughs> wow, Wout, wow, indeed. Um, it does make me think, I wonder, uh, these historical comparisons never quite work, but you, I have this sense that Van Aert is a sort of rider from yesteryear. You know, if he was in the Eno era or, you know, maybe the Merckx era or before the Merckx era, um, he perhaps would have had more chance in the Tour de France, but the Tour de France has now become so um, sort of specialist, uh, you know, the final few kilometres of these climbs, the intensity and the pace is, is what it's all about. But today I think we saw a little glimmer that he could 
yeah, potentially do that. It's one of the reasons why this Tour de France was exciting from day one. Uh, I mean, we, we've come back to, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to, you know, come to a stage in my life as a Tour de France suiveur, follower, that, you know, cycling gets exciting again, that things happen in the stage. The stage is not controlled by the team, you know, all day, uh, you know, uh, riding at the front and the others lo lo looking resigned to, uh, well, second place, third place, fourth place. There, there's action everywhere, you know, in, uh, uh, up the road. Guys, as you said, you mentioned good, you fight, fighting for fourth place. There, there, there are real fights within, within fights in, 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 inside the peloton. We, we, we had this kind of We've had these years with stereotyped uh, cycling, which was actually pretty boring. You know, remember the Froome years? No, no, nothing against uh, Chris Froome, who pulled out today. But in his days, you know, he won the he won the first mountain stage, and that was it. You know, uh, that, that it, it was not the case this year. And and because you know, I uh, my impression is that the, the age of power meters and all riders, you know, looking at their figures uh, on between the handlebars instead of you know, following their instincts, that, 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 that I think that age, you know, the age of parameters has gone and, and a rider like, like Wout van Aert is, seems to be trusting more his instincts, his feeling for the race than uh, his figures and, and which is, uh, I think, what cycling is all about. It, it should be about feeling, about, about the, the, the experience you have the, of the race, what you feel, uh, of, you know, the feeling of the race itself, you know, what's going on, you know, what, where the action is. That's what matters much more than uh, equipment. And I think another significant factor is the length of the mountain stages. I mean, it does feel like the 200-kilometer-long mountain stage is dead. You know, they're just there have been the sort of lumpier stage. I think the stage in one of the stages that was predominantly in Switzerland was close to 200 kilometers. But when you look at uh, even the stage to Planche de Belfi. And considering most of that was kind of you know flat before they got to the bottom of the climb, that was 176 kilometers. The one to Megève, 148, Col de Granon, 151, Alpe d'Huez, 165, and then these two big stages in the uh, Pyrenees yesterday was 129, and today 143. And so it does lend itself to much more intense racing, explosive racing. Teams can make these risks. And it's not just about the teams making the risks of putting riders up the road, as we've seen these last two days. The, because it's short, the, 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 the group behind doesn't let the gap go too far, um, but also isn't too frightened to let serious GC contenders um, go up the road. We've seen you know, Vlasov, we've seen Lutsenko, we've seen Menkes, who was at one stage fourth overall on the road today. Um, we've seen the kind of shuffling of the pack from fourth to tenth. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe this is just my you know, memory cheating me, but it did feel like when you got to the second range of mountains, barring an absolute collapse, the GC was at top 10 was kind of set and everyone just rode round to Paris in the same order. And, and we just don't seem to have that now. As a result as well, the speed is absolutely amazing. I mean, Wout van Aert might be another factor for that, you know, the, the way he rides, but everybody seems to be riding riding at their limits and, and, and the, the average speeds we've seen on most stages either on the flat or in the mountains possibly because they're shorter is, is, is un, unprecedented and uh, it's, it's too early to, 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 to tell whether this 
<laughs> I think that's I think that's Wout van Aert just going back to the hotel. That, that's, that's why, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I we, mean, I should clarify: no allegation that there's any kind of motorbike <laughs> involved. Let me just be really clear about that. This was it was simply the village idiot. I mean, we, there's one in every town in France. Every time we go, you, we go in a small square like this. You've got the guy with his motorbike whose only sole aim in life is to be noisy. You know, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, there are there are special kind of of persons and well well unfortunately or for, fortunately or whatever you want i mean the, the, this this kid was uh, was here today when we were as we were recording no i mean the the ever it's too early to, to to tell that this is going to be the fastest tour ever but 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 I, I i that's probably going to be the case i mean let's talk about some of the things that are contributing to that because it is an accumulation of factors that will will have led to that um the bikes the equipment um, the clothing even. I mean, I always look back at even pictures from 2012. Team Sky, who was supposedly were over every detail. Um, when you look at the jerseys that Wiggins and Froome were wearing back then, they were you know, thicker material, they were baggier. They're in the speed suits every day now, even in the mountain stages, especially in the mountain stages. Um, and people may scoff at that and say, oh, well, I see it. So it's clothing and equipment and nutrition. But, but clearly um, there, there has been you know pretty dramatic strides i mean i remember when we were in brussels francois and jonathan waters was telling us about a, a particular tire that was worth 10 or 15 watts on its own and you know, so the teams and the bike manufacturers um they have looked at all of these areas and i think also the shorter stages and well yesterday the tailwind leading into uh, into the aspen would have been a factor um but the intensity of the racing, you know, they can race really, really hard when the stages are around the four-hour mark yep. and, and, and they're not going into that real kind of deep, deep endurance. It's almost like it's changed the Tour de France from a 10,000 metres race to a, to a 1,500 metres race. I think there's another factor, and that, which is very important in all sports, but it, it is becoming even more important in cycling these days, is t- TV. The, the, the format of stages is shorter because it's just TV better and the fact that everything's shown live from the from the, the the flag from the gun until the finish means that you know riders can't can't afford to you know uh, ride leisurely for two hours without nothing happening otherwise you know uh, well all our friends are eurosport gcn uh, sbs uh, itv name name them or france television would be very un- unhappy so so the riders really have to show their jersey and 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 attack from the gun but also there's another factor we've seen in recent years in grand tours that breakaways go all the way very often which means that there's a real struggle to get into the break which can last for like two hours and and which means that you know the the, the pace uh, of the of, of the race while everybody's going to join the break is is often close or over 50 k ph which uh, which makes makes a difference as well so all these factors put together i i, I know that there'll be you know eyebrows will raise you know uh, among some of you and uh, well i, I Eyebrows do raise from time to time. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know whether there, there are other factors, you know, dubious factors about it. But anyway, w- everything we mentioned points to uh, a faster Tour de France. Well, we ought to talk about the likely winner, Jonas Vingegaard, and we'll do that in the next part. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. There are still a couple of days to vote in the competition to decide which of the three map jerseys becomes the Cycling Podcast jersey. They will go into production in a few weeks' time. The winning design. Choose between check, check, dot, check, <laughs> and fade. Check. The three designs are available to see on map.cc. That's M-A-A-P.cc. And uh, do keep voting because uh, unlike the Tour de France podium, it's not set in stone just yet. A couple of days still to vote. If you vote in enough numbers for one of the two that isn't currently leading... Check. <laughs> right, well, I beat you to it. Um, you may well be able to swing the vote at the last minute and, and do a kind of 2020 La Planche de Belfi last minute uh, change of uh, result. All of the people who voted will be entered into a draw to win a complete set of the Cycling Podcast map collection, which is obviously the jersey and the casquette and the bidon. Uh, so go to map.cc to vote for your favourite. Francois, you can only vote once, so your multiple votes for check are only being counted once, you know. Well, I've created multiple accounts, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still yeah, pretty confident that my team will help me through to victory in this uh, competition. Francois Tomaso, Thomas Francoiseau. That's exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good, good. We'll keep an eye out for that. <laughs> Now, what about Jonas Vingegaard then? Because second in the Tour last year and a surprise and a distant second at that, really. Uh, but this season, he's been, well, exceptional all the way through. He won the Drome Classic one-day race back at the end of February. He was second overall at Tirreno Adriatico, sixth overall at Itzulia in the Basque Country. And then he was second behind his teammate Primoz Roglic at the Criterium de Dauphiné. And before the Tour, we were talking about how he was uh, the decoy Roglic was the leader and Vingegaard was going to be the kind of the, the support, perhaps the last man in the mountains doing the Wout van Aert, Sepp Kuss type work. But it's not worked out that way. Uh, Roglic, of course, had his problems in the early part of the race, crashed and, and is no longer in the race, of course. But Vingegaard has been a convincing rider so far, hasn't he? I mean, he hasn't really put a foot wrong. And as I've said the last couple of nights, the key has been that as soon as Pogacar moves, he's ready to react. It's funny how Tour de France winners, I mean, he hasn't won it yet, but he's about to probably, are authoritative. They, 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 they display a kind of trust and confidence. As we saw today, Jonas Vingegaard almost crashed. Tadej Pogacar did crash. And that's what makes the difference between a, a Tour de France winner and a, and, and a runner-up. I mean, there was never a moment, well, there were moments of panic when he crashed in the cobbles or the, 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 mm. his second crash when you know, changing bikes was a little bit hectic. But when it mattered in the big moments of this Tour de France, especially in the mountains, there was never a moment when you had the impression he was in trouble or he was worried or he was losing his, his you know, his, his self-confidence or losing his way or losing his line. He, in, in the descents today, he was, you know, he was kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, teasing uh, the, the other riders in the GC group by taking shorter lines. I mean, every, every, everything, you know, within uh, the, the way he rode, uh, you know, reflected this authority, this stamp of authority he has on the race. And that, that this is that, that's remarkable because it, it's... Uh, you know, within within a year from last year, he was always you remember with this this one two three 
uh, race with Pogacar leading the way, Carapaz trying as best as he could, and and Vingegaard being like Pogacar's shadow and nothing else. This year it was it was really really different. You we can you could tell it it gone up a gear. He had matured, and um, yeah, I mean the, 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 that's you know. That's what makes Tour de France winners so so different. For for three weeks, they managed to maintain a level of perfection that's that's flawless. I mean, it's been a meteoric rise as well. This is only his third Grand Tour. He made his Grand Tour debut at the Vuelta in 2020 when he caught the eye doing a lot of the the kind of Sepkus work, didn't he, for Primoz Roglic? And um, then last year, of course, was the surprise package of the Tour. But as I say, you know, five minutes down. Um, you know, never really in contention for um, the overall win. But this year, uh, yeah, more or less everything has gone right for him. And, well, tonight he has just, he has the yellow jersey, of course, but he also has the polka dot jersey. I have to feel for Simon Geschke a little bit because he's turned himself inside out in recent days, trying to get as many points as possible. Um, now too far behind to prevent Vingegaard from winning the polka dot jersey. But... There's a link between, um, this is a tenuous link, Francois, I wonder if you're going to like this, but there's a link between Fish, Vingegaard and the polka dot jersey, right? Because Vingegaard used to work in a fish market in Denmark. He used to get up at the crack of dawn, uh, well, before dawn, in fact, and go and work the early shift in the fish market, packaging fish. According to Brian Holm, another Dane, he said that's the kind of tough work that makes cycling seem like, uh, you know, it's not work at all, which, of course, it isn't really, is it? He's now in the polka dot jersey, which is sponsored by the Leclerc supermarket chain. And last night in our restaurant at Le Viscos, Francois, we were, we were visited at our table by a, a fellow diner, the, the owner and boss of the Leclerc supermarket. What was his name? Michel Edouard Leclerc. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty famous in, and popular in France, because he is. Uh, of course, it is all. Uh, it is publicity. You know, advertising. But he is very often on TV. Uh, you know, claiming that you know prices are too high, and that if you go to the Leclerc supermarkets, you know, you, you get the real prices. And in this in this age of you know rampant inflation, is is more popular than ever. And he, so I, actually, he was, he was having dinner at 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 a table near ours in the restaurant. Because today was the big day, almost the final day for the polka dots, uh, uh, the KOM um, classification, and so he was he was meant to be on the podium and hand over the polka dot jersey to the current leader. That's what he did. But he came to uh, to our table. He was introduced to me by the, the chef uh, Alexis because we have we have a common passion, or uh, or should I say, it's not really a passion. I, it happens that I I wrote a book about I've wrote written books about many strange subjects, and I wrote a book about sardines. And 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 as uh, as happens, uh, Michel Edouard Leclerc is the, is one of the leading collectors of tinned sardines in France. He has he has about he has thousands of of those. Tins, you know, cans, boxes uh, of, of with, with sardines in them. So I was very happy to discuss that, and we're very happy to, you know, that I knew about it, and uh, and so so I, I knew a little bit about it because I wrote a, a book about it. But he confirmed what I uh, I knew from writing this book that if you have tin sardines at home and they're good quality, it's like good wine. You know, you can you can you can keep them for 
decades, 20 or 30 years, and the, the, the longer you keep them, the better they are. Well, well indeed, knows, yeah. You know something yeah, about it. Yeah, my dad collected tin sardines, mainly Portuguese ones, and uh, yeah, they mature in the can. As long as they're only in olive oil and, and they haven't been flavoured with other things, if they've got, I don't know, chilies in or whatever, then, you know, that can become too overpowering over, over time or, or, or taint the flavour. But yeah, my dad had a collection... Uh, and uh, I mean, it numbers probably a dozens of tins. We, we found out from Mr. Leclerc his collection, modest collection of tinned fish, 6,000 cans, he said. So, um, yeah, well, I did wonder whether that includes the ones that are in his supermarkets, but I didn't want to ask. Yeah, well, the, the thing, I, I, I don't know, of course, but uh, well, he said he made it very clear that, you know, it was a very innocent uh, hobby, and he, that in spite of everything, he was not a rich man. No. You know, and uh, so when he left the table, and it was really very kind and very nice uh, we, we, we made a quick check on our uh, mobile phones uh, you know about his fortune and it's a it's actually estimated at around two billion dollars so I think <laughs> that, that you know for, for, for a poor guy is is not it's bad once again a very entertaining moment it was and well I, I wish I'd picked him up on something about the polka dot jersey because since Leclerc started sponsoring it the the dots have become smaller and more uniform they're in rows like a game of connect four um I prefer the bigger dots that were more kind of irregular um I guess they're trying to put their stamp on the polka dot jersey but for me it doesn't look as elegant as the the previous designs that's a small quibble a stylistic quibble but Jumbo Visma look like they're going to take the yellow jersey the green jersey and the polka dot jersey and i'm sure there'll be well maybe your stat man will tell you francois somebody's bound to know this but i've had a little look back in the records i can't see a team that's taken all three jerseys since uh, or all three classifications since eddie Merckx in 1969 when he won yellow green and the king of the mountains but bear in mind back in 69 it wasn't a polka dot jersey i think it was just a plain white jersey back then for D- the king didn't pogacar his first tour de front the victory will win all all jerseys or didn't win the green jersey i didn't win the green you're right the, yeah. the yellow the polka dot and the right. white yeah. going back to bjarne reese again in 96 bjarne reese of telecom and eric zabel well, Reese won yellow, Zabel won green, and the following year they did it again. Jan Ulrich won yellow, Zabel won green. And Sunweb in 2017 won the green with Michael Matthews and the King of the Mountains with Warren Barguil, but obviously no yellow jersey. So um, Jumbo Visma really have cleaned up. They came in to try and take both yellow and green, and it does look very much like they're going to do that. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. Uh, Francois just tucking into some energy ham. Um, Not made by science in sport, but giving you some crucial energy at the end of the day, replacing all of the salts that you've lost. If you are riding in the heat at the moment, you probably want to use the hydro range, the tablets that uh, can help you keep hydrated before and during rides. And the beta fuel, if you're doing a big ride, you want to stock up on carbohydrate. Uh, But Science in Sport has everything you need for before, during and after your ride. Go to scienceinsport.com and if you use the discount code SISCP25, you can get 25% off. Francois, you were down at the team buses a little bit earlier on this evening and, well, you're at the Jumbo-Visma bus because I guess they were 
keeping a lid on their celebrations because there are still three days to go. The Tour de France is unpredictable as much as the pattern looks set now. Um, but what was the mood like round the bus? It's it's funny because it was not like they, they didn't fall in each other's arms as you see from time to time. They, they they probably did that up the mountain and they had the time to ride back to the buses and and you know time to reflect on it. Obviously, you, you could tell there was more a sense of relief than than a sense of. Uh, uh, you know, exaltation. They were really, well, you know, job done and, and really a sense of uh, accomplishment, a sense of achievement. I, I listened a bit to Nathan Van Oydonk, who was uh, talking to, up to, my, to our Dutch colleagues. And I talked to Tish Benoot, uh, the, one of the Belgian teammates who also played his role in the, in, in the mix today. Christophe Laporte came in as well. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll listen maybe to, to Tish Benoot and about the, the teamwork and what it means to be in the winning team on the Tour de France. And and later, I mean, uh, Grishka Nierman, which is one of the um, team directors, well, really is, is, a, is a pleasure for us journalists to talk to because he, he says everything you expect him to say about, you know, the way that the day unfolded, the tactics, the strategy, and looking ahead to the, to, the, to the end of the Tour and, you know, staying cautious because no DS in the history of the Tour de France will tell you they've won three days uh, before Paris. I won't say we are sure uh, sure after today, but we are yeah, for sure a big step closer. Jonas was uh, really confident already all week. Also yesterday he said he was really not on the limit, so yeah, that gives confidence also for us. Yeah. Team performance today was absolutely amazing. The team performance today was absolutely amazing. You played your part in it. After yesterday we knew uh, they wanted to try the same today. It was easy to predict, so it would have been best to have one or two guys in the break and what and me were in. We also could help in the final. And that made a difference for, uh, for Sepp and for Jonas. They could save a bit, uh, bit longer, yeah. When you reached the finish and you knew Jonas had won the stage and uh, had written, his gap had increased, is it, was it a relief? And a joy, I suppose, but a relief as well? Yeah, for sure. If you're working for it uh, as a teammate, it's always nice when... Uh, when uh, your leader can win, and uh, especially uh, if it's in the Tour de France, I would say, yeah, it's the biggest race in the world, so uh, yeah, for sure. How do you see the rest of the Tour now? The three, the three big stages left, maybe more successful Jumbo Visma? Yeah, maybe uh, Ward can, uh, can win one or two stages more, we, we, we will see, but tomorrow for sure we have to stay really attentive. Don't celebrate too much tonight, because tomorrow will be a tricky one, I think. Feel good. Uh, we are we are on the right track, uh, but uh, we still have three days to go. So it's not uh, that we that we have a party now for three days. Uh, we will work concentrated like we like we did for for the last three weeks. And uh, there's another day tomorrow, and uh, we are in the perfect position now for winning yellow and green. And uh, we have to work a few more days, and uh, then hopefully the dream does come true. Textbook performance by Jumbo Visma today. Yesterday was was Brandon Magnulty's day, and today you were actually well flawless performance. Yeah, we had a we had a tactical plan. Eh? This basically panned out like we wanted to have it, but it's of course the riders that have to that have to do it, that have to have the legs to uh, uh, to to actually do the plan on on the road. And and uh, some sums up to them uh, great performance of all all six. And uh, uh, we wanted we wanted it exactly to go like that. But uh, you can have a very good tactical plan if the riders are not good enough or something happens, then then the plan is not working out. Was the plan also for Jonas to win the stage? Not uh, not necessarily for us. It would have also been okay if the, if the stage would have gone to the breakaway. But uh, yeah, we were confident that that he could win this stage. And and also uh, he said yesterday that I think I can win the stage. So uh, in the end, it's also a bonus. 
what Van Art is, is he a normal human being? No, is it, is it something exceptional? Again, today was amazing. Yeah, we call him the green monster. And uh, uh, he, had a, he had a bit lesser day yesterday. He was not happy with his own performance yesterday. And, and uh, today we wanted him to be in the break. And I think you saw that at kilometer zero, he attacked straight away and went, uh, went solo. Well, sometimes he's a bit over enthusiastic then, but uh, yeah, and eventually he ended up in the break and, and he was there on the last climb and he made the, the difference for Jonas to drop Pogaccia and uh, yeah, he's just a great champion. Jonas could have done that probably also as well and also, I mean, don't forget the other guys. Christoph wrote a lot in the beginning, Nathan was pacing over the Obisque, uh, Tish was pacing uh, on the descent uh, to get Sepp back and on the start of the climb then Sepp did a, did a tremendous pull on the Hotokam and they were only left, uh, only Pogacar and, and uh, uh, Jonas were left and, and then at the moment Sepp was finished, Wout was there, so yeah, that was just perfect and Wout uh, did the last pull to, to, to finish it off and, and uh, then there was a gap and then Jonas had to continue to the finish and uh, I think it's it's a real team performance and everybody of, of these six guys uh, deserve uh, uh, big uh, compliments. Yeah, of course we're feeling confident with this lead, uh, uh, we're feeling confident but, but there's a hard stage tomorrow coming, there will be some crosswind uh, tricky final uh, then there's a really really hard time trial I mean a lot of things can happen but uh, of course we are confident always but we're not going to celebrate now well that was Tish Benute who again looked very impressive on the climbs such a unique style as well hasn't he he's got the sort of the, the coat hanger shoulders and the, the the hunched back looks like a sort of you know the offshoot of Fausto Coppi in a way doesn't yeah. he um, and he's climbing extremely well Normally you would think of him as a classics man, but uh, he's been a revelation in this Tour de France. And then Grisha Neerman, who's uh, one of the people calling the shots from the team car. So today Pogacar, his reign as Tour de France champion is over. Geraint Thomas has pretty much cemented third place today, hasn't he? I mean, too far away from Pogacar to think about second, I would have thought, in the time trial. But well clear of Godou. Um, who's not really a noted time trialist. Uh, Thomas was warming down on the time trial bike outside the Ineos Grenadiers bus, and I had a chat with Rod Ellingworth just after the finish, and uh, he was actually saying that Thomas's numbers are better and more consistent than four years ago when he won the Tour de France. So that gives some idea of the level that Vingegaard and Pogacar are at. They're obviously very happy with the way Thomas has ridden in this tour because quietly he came in here with perhaps a you know an outside shout of the podium you know the impressive win at the Tour de Suisse was you know there was a little question mark about that because so many riders have pulled out with Covid but he's ridden a very good race and, and Francois you called it from the start well I'm very happy to, by the way he rode and we, we thought that as, at his age and, and with his experience he would be content with uh, you know r- Climbing and riding the tour at his own pace, and you know, stayed at his at his at his place, which is at this third position, which is a kind of a bronze medal in the Tour de France. But today, in the climb to Otakam, he attacked. You know, mm. you know, at the front of the of the of the yellow jersey group, there there he was, Karen going for it, and I think that was great. I mean, it's a, it's you know, we all know he's got a, he's got his own sense of humor. I, I saw I saw his move. Uh, as much as a you kind of yeah, uh, you know, a, a trait of humor in a way, knowing that he would probably wouldn't go far, but also a kind of uh, assertion, you know, affirmation that you know 
I am not here just for the for the fun, and uh, I I'm, I'm also part of the of, of the the action of the fight taking place. I'm not just you know riding my own Tour de France, regardless of what's going on around me. I'm part of it. I'm part of the battle. I'm part of the fight. I mean, this is exciting. It, it's fireworks. You know, people attack from every, why not me? And it did. Of course, it didn't go far. But I mean, the simple fact that he tried and went for it. A very impressive ride from Thomas. I, I do wonder whether Ineos Grenadiers played their hand quite as um, smartly as perhaps they could. But clearly, I mean, Adam Yates yesterday, you know, he was off the back. He clawed his way back in and then was, was dropped more or less immediately again. Uh, Danny Martinez, who I think has been a little bit you know, under par perhaps, um, l- looked pretty good today. But, but again... I mean, normally on paper, you would say on a climb like Otakam, as a former mountain stage winner of the Tour de France, Martinez should um, have been a match for Van Aert. But really, he was hanging on, wasn't he? And then when uh, the pace lifted again, uh, that that was his chance turned to dust. But I, I, I also gather from Rod Ellingworth, they're extremely pleased with how Tom Pidcock has ridden since uh, the Alpe stage win, which in itself, I mean, I wasn't here for that, but watching at home on TV, heart in mouth at that descent, um, before the climb to Alpduez and then the climb itself I mean uh, yeah a, a real marker for the future but I think they're as impressed as pleased with the way he has just sort of dug in and, and, and hung around I mean he has lost places overall but you know he's a young guy and this is um, well his first experience at the pointy end of a, of a Grand Tour so you know it's kind of um, two ends of the spectrum for them isn't it Geraint Thomas coming towards the end and, and Tom Pidcock, bound to be a, a fixture and a feature of the Tour de France in, if not next year, then coming years. Especially as, you know, the life expectancy is probably not the right expression, but of, of a young rider uh, as, as a potential Tour de France winner is getting shorter and shorter. Uh, we, we, when Egan Bernal won the Tour, we, we, we thought, oh, he's in for six, seven years. But then Pogacar came and we said, oh, he's going to win seven. And, well, you know, after the, the third... We will come maybe another time, or maybe never. And now we've got young Jonas Vingegaard. Uh, is he going to win what? Two, three, four? Just one? Who knows? You know, Pitcock could be the other, the, the, the new one. And it keeps coming. You know, this is what's exciting about cycling these days as well. We don't know what Remco Vanderpool really can do in a Grand Tour yet. Uh, if if you know if Wout van Aert decides to. You know, to lose weight and go under a 70 kilos mark. Who knows what he's capable of doing? And there are probably other, you know, up and up and coming young riders coming on. So, yeah, Pitcock, you know, showed on this Tour de France that it'll be a factor in in in, in the future. And as you said, uh, sometimes you know, I, I had great hopes in this Ineos team. That it, it looked really uh, strong, uh, dense, and at the same time. Uh, varied, like you, you, had, you had different profiles. I think probably Danny Martinez was was not up to the level we expected him to be because he was sick. Apparently, uh, he had health issues. Uh, others did as well. So Adam Yates kind of disappointing, but at the same time, still within you know the top ten, top fifteen. Uh, so so you, you can't say it's a, it's a terrible tour for him. But yeah, and also I think I do think that as much as we think. You know, we've criticised Movistar when they've had three That's well-placed right. riders overall. You know, why don't you do more? Why don't you do more? It is difficult 
that. They you know, them. to send Adam Yates, it's a big statement of intent. It's a, you know, it's a really flamboyant, showy move. And the criticism is, you know, it comes very easily if it doesn't work out. Cycling is, for all of the intensity and the explosivity of Vingegaard and Pogacar, really, it's a, it can be quite a, a, a cautious game. You know, I mean, we saw yesterday Quintana sitting on Godou all the way and, uh, you know, profiting and, and, and sneaking his way up the classification. You know, that, that's what the riders do when, when everyone is tired, everyone's more or less on their last legs. And I think today, certainly at the buses, looking at the riders as they came back was my first sense of just how tired they are. You know, um, they'll be relieved that the real big climbing is behind them and that uh, they've just got, you know, a, a relatively straightforward run to Cao tomorrow and then the time trial and then Paris. Yeah, uh, in, in, the old, like in the old days, I would have, I would have put uh, my money on, on, on a quiet day tomorrow, like, you know... At long last, uh, a transitional stage, and uh, because it's, it's going to be probably very hot as well. But with the, with the way this Tour de France has been, I can guarantee it, it, they're going to be at full speed again. They are breakaway, fast, hard to get into it. Probably quite a big, big break, I would have thought. And then it will come down to whether or not any of the sprinters' teams think that their guys can get over those climbs at the end. I guess, but. On the sprinters, Fabio Jakobsen. I mean, he survived yesterday by the skin of his teeth. I mean, incredible film of him coming over the line with seconds to spare. Soigneurs cheering and jumping up and down and, and getting over the line. A couple of teammates there. I think it was Seneschal and Lampart there at the line. I mean, on today's stage, they were all together at the... F well, they were Bajoli, Honoré, Seneschal, Jakobsen... Catania Lampart, so six quick step riders, plus Jeremy Lecroc of B&B Hotels just snuck in there. That was the little group off the back of the Gruppetto. That's uh, 36 minutes 40 down inside the time cut by, you know, uh, comfortably, really, almost four minutes inside the time cut. But Jakobsen suffering in this last week and suffering for one reason, and that is the, the hope and the dream of winning on the Champs-Élysées. And Francois, you spoke to Fabio Jakobsen at the finish today. That's a summary. No, I would say the Alps was the hardest in race pace, vatage, feeling. But that was in the middle of the tour. This is in the last week. So obviously there's a bit more fatigue in the body. I can feel that. My heart rate doesn't respond as, as quickly as it normally does, but that's normal. But I think the last two, three days, there was a physical limit on my body. It's just there. I try to keep the mind as sharp as possible. I always tell everybody that I never give up. I also have to tell myself. Uh, I feel a huge responsibility towards my teammates and the team here because they support me for the past two and a half weeks. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to push the limits. I'm healthy. Uh, I'm not sick. So why hold back? Do everything in my power to, to produce the best performance today, which comes down to everything, to eating, drinking, positioning, descending, climbing. And uh, today was enough. As a sprinter, without the team, you are you are nothing. They they are as as important in winning sprints as they are in me getting to the finish line in these races. So as a sprinter, you realize that these guys are, are all I have, and I owe everything to them. And and this is teamwork. I can can say that I really love them. What do you feel now? Relief or already ambition for the next stages to come? That is always mixed. Uh, today I'm grateful. 
I'm relieved I could make the time limit. When I'm gonna turn around and enter the bus, I'm gonna put my shoulders back, my chest up a bit, and ask them what they think about tomorrow. Well, as we've said, it's not been a kind tour for the sprinters. I mean, slim possibility tomorrow, but it, it's one of those days where uh, the kind of the, the, the ruler sprinters may have a chance, but the pure sprinters possibly won't. And so it's just a case of them getting to Paris and, and hoping they get a clear run at the line and don't get Wout van Aerted in, in the final 100 metres, which could very easily happen to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was quite moved by uh, Fabio Jac- Jacobson. I mean, you, you, you heard him. Mark Cavendish, way uh, uh, you know, across the mountains last year was also uh, quite a moving story, quite a thrilling story. Uh, and I think for, for some reasons, Fabio Jacobson was even more kind of moving, given his past, his, uh, his injuries, uh, you know, the, the reason why he was here at the Tour and, uh, you know, and not uh, Mark Cavendish. And, 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 the, and the way he expressed himself, I mean, the gratitude he had for his, uh, his teammates. And, and you, you, could, you could see, that he had a little kind of a glimmer in his eyes, you know, when I asked, asked him, if it was relief or ambition, you know, that, that is feeling now. And, and you can tell that really that this stage in Paris will be absolutely uh, central and crucial and probably the, the, the one of his... Uh, the, the question is always the same at the end of the tour. I mean, all the sprinters are tired. Who's uh, still, still around? Who's in shape? Uh, you know, Caleb Ewan, as we, as we saw, kind of uh, disappeared out of, out of sight. Dylan Grunewagen really needs special conditions to be capable of winning uh, a burn sprint, which is probably more going to be Paris than Cahors. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're back, you know, we, we, we're, we're still in front of Otakam in the mountains, already, you know, back into a different terrain, and that's the tour rolling, you know, until the very end. It is. Well, we better wrap up, actually, Francois, because we need to go and have our meal at Le Viscos. Last night was sensational. We, I think we all had the trout, didn't we? The yep. l- delicious, light, fresh, cooked but cold trout with, uh, with spirals of cucumber and a lemon-lime sorbet. I mean, so... So light, delicate, fresh. Um, it didn't really feel like eating, did it? It was just, it was, it was just, just so light on the tongue. And then the pigeon afterwards was also not too heavy. The sauce was rich, but it was there wasn't too much of it. It, it was delicious. And uh, well, we'll go and see what delights Luviscos has for us this evening. Mm. Yeah, I'm afraid it's going to be from my my tips from the chef. Uh, you know, point to a, a little, yeah. A, kind of less light dinner <laughs> less tonight light. but we'll see what we get ah okay <laughs> we've been tipped off have we okay well we'll, we'll report on that tomorrow and um, well before we go it's time for the daily tour de buffalo remembering richard moore and we've talked about paris it's only a few days away now and of course that will be the start of the tour de france fam the first stage will be in paris before the men's stage finishes in the evening, the women will kick off their race and it will go all the way to uh, La Super Planche de Belfi on Sunday the 31st of July. And, well, Richard has championed coverage of women's cycling. He was the driving force behind the cycling podcast Feminin, which took its name, of course, from the Tour Feminin from the 1980s. And every year he would make an episode of Kilometre Zero at La Course. And this is from the 2018 edition. Richard Orlachenoui and Rose Manley covering La Course. The Tour du Buffalo. Remembering Richard Moore. 
So we're at the finish, uh, this beautiful meadow at the finish here. It's a familiar finish to stages of the Tour de France at Le Grand Bornon. And we're watching the women's race on the big screen here, a decent crowd. And we're seeing, a, we're watching a really, really good race, it has to be said. Uh, on the Col de Rome, Cecilie Utrecht-Ludwig, who's just ridden a very good Giro, uh, she attacked and she's a dangerous rider. She was allowed to go. Uh, her teammate, Ashley Moment Passio, uh, was in the chasing group behind. And we've been watching as Utrecht-Ludwig has been uh, grinding out, you know, a minute, um, almost a minute and a half at one point. And the Michelin Scott riders, Amanda Spratt and uh, Annemiek van Vleuten, have been taking it in turns to attack with Ashley Moulman Passio, very attentive and very strong looking. So, Savella Bigla uh, are playing a bit of a blinder here by the looks of things. Yeah, look, I mean, it was a bit of a surprise move from Cecily, I think. She's always been uh, like a bit of a Ashley. follower. Yeah, a bit of a follower, but also she's. No, I don't know. I mean, she attacks plenty, but it normally doesn't come to much, really. She's Ashley Moulman's right hand woman. I mean, she is always there for Ashley in the mountains. And we can see that now there's a, a group of four, basically, of all of the kind of favourites, all the people that we thought were going to be there, are there. So I think it's uh, probably will be time up for Cecily on this uh, final climb. But well, then- will it? Will it? Will it? We'll see. I mean, what's interesting is that that, that team, Savella Bigla, is very much Sashi Moomin Passio's team, isn't it? And when I spoke to her earlier this year, I got the impression that she wanted a bit more aggression from some of her teammates, Cecilia in particular. She's a, a great young rider. She was best young rider in the World, Women's World Tour last year. And, and probably, you know, knocking on the door of a, of a big result. And, you know, she's still got 50 seconds and she's really not far from the, the summit now, the Col de la Colombière. And then it's a descent down here into the finish. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.